All right, thank you. How's everybody doing? You satisfied after the meal and the talk, right? So I'm going to go right into this. I'm going to. This is one of my favorite uh, subjects. Uh, Hazel Hunkins Hallinan from Billings. About five or six years ago, I saw a picture of her in the Library of Congress records. I had never heard of her, so the first thing I did was call the local Women's History Museum and ask them about her, and they had never heard of her. And of course, now in the days, uh, we can uh, do research online that takes us anywhere we want, and immediately I found searches about her uh, with her records at Harvard University and also at the London School of Economics. So I was like, wait a minute, we're onto something here. So, uh, so as I said, she's a, a Billings girl. She's actually photographed right here. This photograph was just in a New Yorker magazine about three months ago. So, and I bet nobody in Billings even recognized her. So I'm going to get right into this. And so my focus on this program, this, she actually has lived three lives. She was a suffragist who fought for women's rights in the United States, then went to England and was a leading feminist in Britain for 50 years, and then came back in the 1970s to fight the Equal Rights Amendment uh, for it. So anyway, uh, born in Colorado, moved to Montana as a young girl, her father opened up uh, Hunkins Jewelry right on the main street in downtown on North Broadway. Uh, you can see it right here. And uh, basically her brother took over, her stepbrother took over the business. By the time she graduated from high school in 1908 in Billings, she was voted most popular classmate, the second brightest, and the third most conceited. <laughs> And uh, the beauty of this, and I'm, I'm going to kind of go through this pretty quickly, but the, one of the most amazing parts of her story is uh, as a youth, I mean, at age 16, uh, the first issue of the Coyote, the annual, has a three-page speech from her about how she perceives the future and what it will bring. And it's very uplifting, very upbeat. Uh, you know, I'll give you one line. You know, she says... Uh, it should time separate us by the prairies and mountains of this great west, by the forests of the east, or even by the deep rolling waves of the sea. The loving memory of happy days and joys shared in Billings High can never be forgotten. Farewell, classmates, farewell. Okay, so that's 1908. This gentleman wrote a three-page essay basically saying, Foreign immigration is an immigrant imminent danger to our citizenship. Many Japanese, Italians, Greeks, Russians, and Poles, too ignorant to shiftless to rise in their own land, have come here and are ruining America. So what a contrast between her and the person who came second in class. So, so again, there's a lot about her in her youth. I'm going to kind of go through this pretty quickly. Because her records were left at Harvard University, we have photographs. We have her diaries when she was younger, and we can really build a storyline. So she went to Vassar College. Uh, she actually had to go to prep school for a year, even though she was school valedictorian. She still needed a year of prep after Billings. Um, and uh, as a young woman, she gets a chemistry degree and uh, you know, becomes a, a professor uh, at uh, University of Missouri. A quick little side note, of course, Montana by the time she's uh, in 1914, has already presented the vote for women in the Western U.S. All the states that are marked had, by 1914, given women the right to vote. They're looking at building a coalition across the country at this point to basically get a national suffrage movement. So, 
all of these different, one thing that strikes me about this whole movement is how many different women, how many different organizations, and how many different approaches they take. Some are political, some have the wealthy backing of people like Whitney and Vanderbilt, and then there are more kind of radical groups like the National Women's Party, which Hazel Hunkins would be involved with. So the reason she gets involved with the National Women's Party is she comes home to Billings to take care of her ailing mother. And in the course of spending some time in Billings in 1916, she goes and applies for chemistry jobs in laboratories in the city. And she goes to the sugar factory. And they say, you know, we know you're qualified, but we don't really want a woman working in our lab. And almost at the same time, a woman by the name of Clara Louise Rowe gives a presentation on behalf of the National Women's Party exclaiming, we need to do something to give women more rights. And she completely buys into this idea. She also noted in one of her notebooks, while other childhood girlfriends were getting married to local boys, she said she looked at their girlfriend's domesticity with great disdain. So she was ready to get out in the world, and she joins the National Women's Party. The most famous figures would be Alice Paul, Lucy Burns, two figures who had been in the British feminist movement and had seen kind of a radical approach to getting their message across. They would come back to the United States and modify their message and be more pacifist, I suppose, uh, but basically Hazel Hunkins jumps right in. And one of the things that strikes me is for us in Billings, not having heard her name, once you do a search on Chronicling America or any newspaper engine, she starts showing up in the San Francisco Examiner, the Oakland Tribune, the Washington Post. She's headlining in some of these newspapers. So one of the questions that strike me is, why don't we know her in Billings? And I'll try to address that also. So just a couple weeks after meeting Claire Louise Rowe, she's organizing a group in Billings. Next thing you know, she's in San Francisco. She's speaking in the back of a truck to crowd. So she's getting a crash course on how to be uh, a member of the National Women's Party. Uh, here she is uh, in Colorado Springs. And you can see, you know, she's listed actually as representing, um, I can't remember what state, but the Clara, Clara Rowe was still considered the Montana representative um, of Hazel Hunkins from Colorado right below. But right after this part of time, she would become part of the, basically the representative not only of Montana for the National Women's Party, but of the Western United States, the states that already had the right to vote for women. So this is a photograph from her diaries at Harvard. Um, on September 25th, just a little over two months after she's joined the party, she's flying in an airplane delivering leaflets to folks in the San Francisco region. Uh, she did note it was very exciting, but the pilot died a month later in another accident, so some risk involved there. And, uh, and what I find is before the war starts, the press is actually quite um, a quite favorable, I would say, to the National Women's Party at this point. Um, I mean, to think that they went to the Congressional Union uh, uh, to, I'm sorry, the addressing, the President was addressing the Congress in December of 1916, and Hazel Hunkins unfurled a banner while the President was at Congress, basically um, 
you know, saying it's time for us to get the right to vote, and then her banner was removed. I mean, these are pretty radical, but she's still getting decent press. She's getting her photograph in uh, newspapers. Uh, and then, of course, this is the famous photo. What happens at this time, in January of 1917, the National Women's Party takes their protest to the White House grounds. Uh, as far as we know, the first political protest in front of the White House, these what were called the Silent Sentinels, would spend the next three years protesting in front of the White House, uh, addressing the issue of, Mr. President, it's our time, the national suffrage should go through. And it's really nice to have so many great photos, isn't it? So here's an article from just January 29th. They've only been on the picket line a little over three weeks. Vassar Suffrage Sentinel tells what it's like to picket the White House. Hazel Hunkins, pretty and 23 of Billings, Montana, is qualified to membership in the Old Guard of Endurance Against Icy Blast. Her ability to carry a suffrage banner or the strength of her earnest conviction on suffrage count for anything. So there's, it's interesting, she almost had a full page story about her and a little about her life and who she was. And uh, like I said, this is the Washington Post. Another couple examples, one out of the Washington Post, one out of the Washington Times. Women who are guarding the White House portals. I mean, that's a, that's a nice, soft way of saying they're protesting in front of the White House. You can see her photo is right on the front page of the Washington Post. Again, on the right, here's another example of her being recognized as one of the leaders of the group at the time. And then in March, uh, she's listed as one of the leaders of the group that would uh, protest in front of the White House during President Wilson's second inauguration. She's identified in the paper as the standard bearer for all states where men and women now both vote. As the United States, though, entered the war shortly after this on April 6th, you'll see how the shift happens in the press. So at this point, they're treated with, in some ways, kid gloves, you know, like a pretty young woman from Vassar protesting and stuff. But it seems like once the war starts, things get a little ugly. So one of the first articles I find is just shortly thereafter, one of the leaders of the suffrage movement, Carrie Chapman Catt, basically said the, the suffrage, the silent sentinels should remove their pickets from the White House. She basically said protesting for any cause during the war effort is completely a bad idea. And you know, Chapman would still, uh, Cat would still move on with the, the idea for pushing for suffrage, but it would be done more in a back, back hall kind of dealing. But uh, it doesn't stop this group of three or four dozen women basically protesting in front of the White House. So this is in June of 1917. 2,000 anti-suffrage protesters yelling traitors and treason charged the protesters and grabbed and destroyed all their banners. Hazel Hunkins, one of the most persistent servitors, was arrested when she arrived the next day with a new banner. And what's very interesting about this, this Mrs. Richardson that's mentioned was a suffrage. But even the suffragists 
protested against the suffragists protesting in front of the White House. So this Miss Richardson, who was one of the suffragists, actually is the one who grabs the banner out of Hazel Hunkins' hand while she's climbing up the fencing at the White House. Here's some comments about people at the time this protest was going on. It is shocking to think that such thin-blooded, narrow-minded women should have ever been born. Another person says they are enjoying all the wonderful privileges the freedom and republic offers, and they don't even seem to know it. One woman um, said on the streets, these women are living in the best country in the world, enjoying all the wonderful privileges that freedom of republic offers, and they don't even seem to understand that. They are vicious, contemptible in the sight of God and man, pig-headed, brainless, and heartless women. Because of the protests in front of the house, there's a series of articles then. Uh, the Washington police, basically, that's it. We can't have any more of these protests. They could turn violent. And actually, uh, Representative Howard of Georgia introduces a bill designed to prevent the suffragists from displaying their banners in the vicinity of the White House or any other public building. The Capitol Police crack down on these protesters because they think it could be a dangerous situation. And it begins this process of arrest. Uh, there are several, several times that these women are arrested. Sometimes in the beginning because it was like they were trying to protect these women. And, uh, and I try to pick articles where her name shows prominently too. And these are photos of her also. All from the Library of Congress. Most from the Library of Congress. The ones that are more family oriented are, are the ones from the uh, Harvard University. So here's an article about the, her support from Billings. The Women's Club of Billings stated it did not approve of the displays of banners in front of the White House and that it was in no sense the sentiment of this community, especially in a time of war. A Billings girl was one of the seemingly star performers of parading the banners, and this should not be construed as expressive of sentiment in Billings on the subject of women's suffrage. These sentiments expressed on the banners are improper at a time when the nation is at war. So that's locally. Helena, boy, Helena Independent went after these women. Um, the Helena Independent does not agree with Mrs. Richardson, who took the banner out of Hazel's hands, uh, that Hazel is a dirty yellow traitor. Hazel is simply one of the misguided friends of the suffrage movement. She is part of the lunatic fringe, which hangs out forever around the edge of the suffrage cause. Little Miss Hazel Hunkins of Montana has been misled, according to this editorial. It is the duty of Congressman Jeanette Rankin to hunt up the little vast graduate and pin a tag to her so she will not get on lost on her long journey then send her back to Montana if Hazel is naughty when she gets out here in the sunshine of Montana where straight thinking is the rule her mother should take her out behind the woodshed and let the neighbors hear the gentle patter of her slipper on the bustle of Hazel's overalls yeah, uh, the Helena Independent was like, wow, you know. So this is a letter that she wrote. Again, there, these letters are available at the Schlesinger Library, which is Ratcliffe at Harvard. So every time she says, uh, she says in uh, one of the letters, um, 
basically her mother is now reading these articles or hearing about this bad press from Montana and from local. So she says to her mother in this letter on July 5th, 1917, I am not sorry for a thing I've done. We have been attacked in the press, but every minute has been darkened by the thought that you are suffering, that you were suffering. I know how you hate publicity, mother, and also I know how little you know of the dirty game that press work is. The news is twisted and contorted to suit the policy and views of the editor. You must take the attitude that more than what you have, half of what you read is false, the other half is contaminated with the writer's point of view. She says, I have watched public opinion change in such a short time that I wouldn't be surprised to be greeted later at some point as a hero rather than an offensive. So, I mean, it's interesting. She says that several times because she's asked, like, with her mother, like, you know, why are you doing this in these letters? And she goes, you know what? Little kids came up to me one day with their father, and the father's saying, take a look at these women. They're going to be famous someday for what they're doing. And this is the kind of feedback she was getting in front of the White House as she was protesting from people at the street level, but not in the press. And this is the kind of stuff that made her continue in the cause. So she does, uh, oh, excuse me. She says, uh, one minute I was standing there in perfect peace holding the banner. Three minutes later I was holding a broken staff with no banner at the center of a surging crowd. Well, anyway, Mom, it was an experience that I never want to go through again, and I hate to even read accounts of it. And basically, uh, she said her banner read, she's sarcastically, um, you know, that it was offensive. It said, we demand democracy and self-government in our land. That was the banner that was torn out of her hands. So here's the question I had. Why not, why don't we know her in Billings? Now we are starting to, obviously. But basically on page like seven in the Billings Gazette, here's an article about Hazel Hunkins. You can see right here, the headline says, Billings girl, innocent victim. I mean, if you're reading all the other papers, she's up there with uh, Lucy Burns and Alice Paul. So anyway, they did give her some, some space in the paper to address this embarrassment to herself. Uh, when asked why she and other suffragists were making laughing stocks of themselves uh, in the July 20, 1917 Billings Gazette, Miss Hunkins said, we are taking advantage of the war situation to point out that if this war is for democracy, if we are to send our soldiers 3,000 miles into the trenches of a foreign land to fight for democracy, it would not be amiss to have democracy extended at home. She kicks ass, doesn't she? She said, asked if the picketing will go on. She said, yes, even though it means arrest, we will go on picketing because we know we are within our legal rights. Another piece from the Gazette uh, a couple weeks later, and this is one of the few that you see, uh, mentions Hazel Hunkins uh, has returned home for the day. And this is what the Gazette wrote. Being a, Mont uh, being a woman voter and from a state which is now noted for producing the most prominent women in the country, Miss Hunkins has become a most effective lobbyist 
and although one of the youngest, nevertheless one of the ablest speakers at a time when events of stupendous international importance are taking place in the nation's capital, Hazel Hunkins is lobbying in Congress and had the opportunity of knowing some of the great men who are making history today. Like, really, that's pretty condescending uh, from the point of the Gazette, right? So this, this is a really side to her. This is really neat because her, her diaries are available. Okay, thank you. Uh, so she writes to her mother about this time period. She says, My summer and vacations were spent with my mother and half-brother in Billings. When I settled into the company of young men and women with whom I had grown up with, the gulf appeared between us. Each summer it became more apparent. I claimed... I, I complained to my mother, I just can't get interested in Jimmy, the manager of the telephone company, as he can't talk about anything but love and business. Or the owner of the milling company, no matter how rich he is. And Jack, a friend, said, everyone who doesn't believe in the war is just yellow. And my first childhood love, whom I shall remember with great affection, thought of his real estate, father's real estate business weekdays and fishing on weekends. In a way, I love them all, but as for marrying any of them, I would rather go to prison. Which she does many times. Uh, this is, uh, she was uh, uh, part of the Night of Terror group that was in prison at the Oconquin prison in Virginia in November of 1917. Uh, at the Oconquin uh, prison in Virginia, the treatment of the women made national news. For weeks, the women's only water came from an open pail. Their food of it, all of a colorless slop, was infested with worms. On November 15, 1917, a night in the women's movement, now known as the Night of Terror, exposed the terrible treatment of these political activists that they were receiving. A couple of them were threatened, a couple were beaten. And so Alice Paul decides to go on a hunger strike at this point. This was the doctor's report. This is what he said. Uh, Courage in women is often mistaken for insanity which I think is an interesting quote from the doctor. But what happened is Alice Paul was familiar with the experience in England about press. And so good press, now bad press, now sympathetic press. They're going to shift the mind of the press after this thing because the images of women being force-fed in prison uh, really actually works to their advantage. So I'm going to go through this pretty quick. So this is 1918. This process of going out and protesting and being arrested continues. She seems pretty happy about it, though, doesn't she? And again, here's another is, uh, instance. 37 sus or suffragists taken to prison. Um, this is in front of Lafayette Square where they were protesting. While burning, in August of 1918, while burning the speeches of President Wilson, a watch fire was started in Lafayette Park near the White House by Hazel Hunkins. So the war would end uh, on November 11, 1918. President Wilson had become sympathetic at this point to the plight of creating a national amendment. So what's available though is, uh, like I said, from all these different archives, here's telegrams to her mother, one that says, 26 of America's finest women are now accompanying to me to jail. It's splendid, don't worry. I mean, you know, she went from her mother saying, I'll do anything to please you to, hey mom, look at, we're doing it again, you know. 
So this is her leading the uh, flag procession here. Again, another situation where they're being arrested. Uh, I like how the paper right next to the story on the suffragists protesting in 1918, they have the list of all the U.S. soldiers that have died in the service uh, uh, adjacent to it. So by September of 1918, the resolution uh, basically was one vote away. And at this point, Hazel Hunkins was quoted in the paper basically saying something about blank, blank, that old American flag. It is the cause of all this trouble. And blank, blank, the American flag is always getting somebody into trouble. Excuse me. And the Hella Independent um, had this incredible scalding piece about this supposed incident. Uh, and basically, the uh, independent called her Hazel Hunkadori ha uh, Hunkins of Billings. In the height of bliss lies in getting newspaper advertising. Hazel Hunkadora Hunkins of Billings ought to be now satisfied. Of course, old-fashioned mothers and women generally who are fighting to win the war may not like what Hazel is alleged to have said in order to obtain publicity, but that is beside the point. The point is that Hazel now has landed her pretty tootsie-wootsies slap in the middle of every newspaper in the United States. So this is an image from her for the militant wing of the uh, uh, National Women's Party in 1919, and of course just after that, the suffrage would pass, uh, the amendment would pass on June 4th, 1919, a 14-month campaign, and on August 18, 1920, Tennessee becomes the 36th state to ratify the amendment. So what's really neat is when I tell this story a lot of times, this is like one part of the story, and basically, you know, newspapers said these organizers from the National Women's Party work so hard, but they work themselves out of jobs, because the National Women's Party complete focus was on getting the right to vote. Other groups were involved in other types of situations and added to their table, but once they got the right to vote, it was over. So, um, quickly one slide here, Hazel Hunkins, the only American-born leader of the six-point group in England over the course of 50 years. And then when she returns to the new state, uh, United States in 1977, uh, Hellraiser 87, uh, a tiny gray-haired woman with a feminist vocabulary, a notorious arrest record, and a surprisingly sharp tongue. And this is uh, amazing. We have these uh, beautiful um, uh, letters from her. And she wrote one of her friends, Helene O'Donnell, basically, and said, Helene, I will always be grateful for your kindnesses when I came back to Billings to rebury my mother's ashes and those of my husband. He had no connection with Billings, but a long time before his death, I asked him where he wanted to be buried, and he answered without a moment's delay, I want to be wherever you are. And long before that, I had decided I wanted to be in the forever in Billings, Montana. So someday you and I will be somewhere near together, Helene, in that forever land. I want to just show you one thing. She married Charles Hallinan, a journalist, who was a bit of a philanthropist. No, not a philanthropist, a philanderer. <laughs> she was working for the State Department, and when she went back to England two months later, he had a woman living with her who said, it was just a friend, but he had, she had to clean up like the underwear and all that. So anyway, see where my daughter is standing? She's standing at Hazel's grave. Look at Charles' grave. Charles Thomas Hallinan husband of Hazel, and his grave is right at her feet, right here. 
So whenever we take people to the cemetery, we stand on Charles's grave, tell this story, and say, oh, here he is, husband of Hazel. So even like in her death, she's like making a comment. So, um, and I think uh, Nick, uh, that's all I have right now. Let me just, uh, one person in Congress, Nanette Rankin. Oh, this is fighting for the right to vote. It took how many years from this point to get the suffrage through over... 48 years to finally get for the women to fight through and get this going.